0: Today we're going to talk about sleepers. We're going to talk about God's love uh, for the sleeper. And we're, and we're going to actually look at an example of probably one of the most famous examples in the Bible of someone falling asleep. And uh, and that's saying something because people fall asleep a lot in the Bible. It actually happens way more than you think. If you start going through, you look back to Adam being put into a deep sleep so God can take the rib and turn uh, and create Eve and then we have Noah after surviving the flood he plants a vineyard and gets a bunch of grapes and turns them into wine and gets crazy drunk and goes in a cave and passes out right and you got Samson laying his head on Delilah's lap right before she cuts his hair off and you've got Elijah going off and and after battling the prophets of Baal he's exhausted and he goes off and 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 he's complaining to God and God says hey you just need to eat something and go to sleep like take a nap and I'll talk to you when you wake up right and, and you've got Jonah sleeping on the boat as the storm is raging and the sailors coming to him and saying like, hey, don't wake up, pray to your God that we might be saved. And then years later, we've got Jesus doing the same, sleeping on a boat and his disciples coming and saying, hey, wake up, don't you care that we're going to die? You've got Jesus and his disciples, uh, Jesus asked his disciples, hey, stay awake and pray with me. And his disciples couldn't even stay awake and pray with him in his hour of need. And so there's a lot Sleep actually plays a large role in the, in the unfolding story of Scripture. And so today, as we look at a famous sleeper, that's saying something to say that he is famously fallen asleep. Now, you may be famous in your own circles for falling asleep. Maybe you fell asleep at a really inopportune moment as a kid. Maybe you fell asleep and your face fell in the mashed potatoes at Thanksgiving dinner and nobody will let you live it down. Or uh, I don't have any truly outrageous stories of falling asleep. I've the typical one's of falling asleep in class. Uh, I was really good at this. I loved economics class but I always fell asleep in it. So I would like be in there and I'd like fall asleep and then I'd like wake up and shoot my hand up and be like, "Yeah, supply and demand like they really and I I could like come out of sleep and be right back in the conversation." Um, I've had the long road trips where you're going and back in the day you had to crank the window down and stick your head out the window and crank the tunes way up and one time I tried chewing tobacco because I thought that might keep me awake. That was bad. Kids, don't do that. That was a bad move. It just made me sick and awake, so that was not a good, that was not a good solution. Um, I actually have a, a picture of my childhood here. Uh, this is little Ezra right here in the front, sporting the same haircut I got today. Um, and this is before, in my old church, we switched over to these really sweet mint green choir robes that were, like, super stylish. But, but back in the day, I was, like, the shortest kid in the choir. I was the shortest kid in my class. I was, like, one of the youngest. And so they always put me up in the front. So I'd always be right up by the rail, and I would always, like, pull this cool pose where I'd, like, cross my leg over, and I'd do this. And then on more than one occasion, I fell asleep. Don't worry. So all the cute kids are up front to do the kids' choir thing at church, and I'm like dozing off, and like the whole church is laughing. And, um, so that's part of my claim to fame. You probably have stories like this too. And uh, as we look at this story of the sleeper, I, I want to encourage you that God, God loves the sleeper. God loves the one who's falling asleep, but he doesn't want to leave you that way. And so I want you to, uh, to, to kind of enter into the story, put yourself in this story today. And I think God wants to speak to some of us. If, if we're in a season or a period where, where we've become drowsy, where we've become sleepy, where we've disconnected from our purpose and our drive and our goal, and, and we're just kind of feeling like we're just going through the motions, if that's where you're at today, I believe God has a word for you. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for this chance to come and to open up your scriptures, to uh, to study your word, and, and through it, uh, we, do, we don't care about becoming experts, uh, we don't care about becoming wise in a worldly sense, what we do care about deeply is knowing you, because we know from scripture that that's what really matters, to know you, it's important you. Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount that there'll be those that came and say, hey, didn't we cast out demons and perform miracles and do all these things in your name, and And you'll say, away, I never knew you. And so if if we're not doing this to know you, then we're missing the point. So I just pray that you would help us to know you better through your word this morning, God. Speak to us. uh, Encounter us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. And so if you can turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20, we're going to be picking up uh, where Keith left off last week. And Keith preached a great sermon about when God comes in creates a disturbance in your life, when God calls you to be disturbed. And, and this was a disturbance that was actually a riot in the city of Ephesus where the, the idol makers were rioting because Paul was challenging their livelihood. He was telling people that idols made by hands of men are no gods at all, and, and they were in danger of losing their livelihood. And so it shook them up. It, it disturbed them. And so we're coming as, the, as the, the dust is settling on this riot that took place. It says in Acts chapter 20, verse 1, after the uproar ceased, Paul went for the disciples, sent for the disciples. After encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. And when he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months. And when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So Peter the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him and of the Thessalonians Aristarchus and Secundus and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and the Asians Tychius and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days." Okay, so the the whole paragraph there, it just seems like kind of some historical detail. All right, it's moving forward. He went here, he did this, he did that, or whatever. And uh, there's actually a whole sermon in here that I don't have time to preach this morning. But let me just, just point out to you that look at the transformation that's taken place just in the brief time that we've been studying in the book of Acts from the beginning of this series till now. When we started this series, Paul and Barnabas were getting ready to set out on a missionary journey, just the two of them, and they had a dispute. They had a disagreement over taking John Mark with them. And so Paul said, hey, you take John Mark and you go, and I'll grab Silas and I'll go. And so he grabbed one other guy and he hit the road. uh, But you can almost see his heart transforming to say like, hey, you know what? It's actually better if we multiply. It's, It's better if we expand. It's better if we invest in others. And so he immediately seeks out Timothy and starts to disciple him. And then we see him connect with, Priscilla and Aquila, and we see him connect with Apollos, and we see him investing in all these leaders, and his squad is getting bigger and bigger. So at this point, he's traveling around with a baseball team, right? He's got nine people with him, uh, that nine deep, and that's just like the the main players that his heart had developed for discipleship. And, 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 And think about the difference between when Saul was a persecutor of a church, he was just going from city to city by himself, he was like a one-man wrecking crew, and he would recruit people in, but, but it was all about him. But when the gospel grabs a hold of your heart, you go from being about me to being about we. And now, all of a sudden, he's spreading wide the leadership. He's investing. He's encouraging. He's, he's growing these leaders. And we're going to see here in the next couple of weeks that, that he knows that his time is short, that he's, he's headed to Rome, and he knows he's not going to be coming back. And he says, if this is going to continue on, if the message of Jesus is going to continue to go out, I need to invest in people. And we have a real heart for that here at Riverside. It was a it was a joy for me last week. Uh, Trina and I, my wife and I, were able to go down to Charlotte to a church conference. We took a couple from the church with us because we wanted to invest in them a little bit. And and while we were gone, you guys had a tremendous time of worship here in my absence. Keith was able to preach a great sermon. Brian helped do the announcements and pastoral ministry while I I was gone. Josh and his band led you in worship. Our our Parkers and our greeters and our cafe and our kids' ministries, that all happened and, and flowed. And it's such a blessing that at Riverside that we can experience the joy of sharing ministry together. There's nothing that blesses me more than to to leave out of town and kind of be like, man, I wish I was there because great things are happening when I'm gone. That's a different sermon, though. We're not preaching that sermon today. We are just contemplating that. But maybe that will be the piece that you grab and you take out of here and and walk away with, and that wouldn't be such a bad thing. But the next passage is what I really want to show you this morning, right? Beginning in verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, Intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Now, I preached a few long sermons, but if I go up over 40, 45 minutes, people get really antsy, right? Paul's preaching for hours. It's midnight, and he's still going, right? There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. So in this, this central passage here in the text, it is what we really want to zone in on. And, and my goal, my desire would be that, uh, that not to uh, pull this, this magical sermon out of thin air where you walk away saying like, wow, I don't know how he got that out of that passage. That's amazing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to go back next week to see what he finds next time. Right? No, my goal is to teach you how to identify the central truth in a passage of Scripture and apply it to your own life. That's what discipleship is all about. And we do that. We read the word, we see the truth, we apply it to our life, and then we share it with others. And so what I'm doing from the stage here is the same thing that we're calling and encouraging you to do in discipleship. Learn how to read God's word. And so when you read through that, what is the central truth? What's the big thing that grabs you out of this passage? What is what is the, the resonating truth that you can grab a hold of? What I would point you to is the fact that we serve a God who can raise someone from the dead. Our God has the power to raise the dead, and he has demonstrated that over and over again. But a step beyond that, what's amazing, is that he uses that power in this passage to raise the least likely guy in the room, right? It didn't say that, uh, that, that he raised this, this incredible preacher, or pastor, or evangelist, this one who poured out. He raises the guy who fell asleep and fell out of the window, right? Which means there's hope for you and me, right? Because that would probably be us. We'd probably be that one is kind of, right? Like, like, he doesn't go to the most worthy person in the room and say, you are worthy of my miraculous power and presence. No, this is not about the worthiness of Eutychus. It's about the grace, the mercy, the love, the compassion, and the power of God. And that power is available to you and I that the same God who performed this miracle can perform a miracle in our life, in our hearts. And we don't have to worry if we're not worthy enough, because Eutychus is not the most worthy person we could ever find, and yet he was the recipient of God's grace and mercy. This is reinforced by what we read in Scripture over and over again. What does it say in John 3.16? You guys know this passage. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, even the guy that falls out the window, right? Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And verse 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Paul didn't go down and say, Eutychus, Eutychus, wait, wake up. Dude, what are you doing falling asleep? Right? He didn't, he didn't raise him to life to berate him. He raised him to life to give him a second chance. And if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, he has raised you to life so that you could serve him, not to condemn you, not so you can go through the rest of, of your life kicking yourself for past mistakes. He, he raised you for the future, for all that he's going to do in and through you. Listen to what it says in Romans 5, if, if we need to push the, the point home a little bit further. In, in Romans 5, 6, it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. It's Eutychus, that's you, that's me, right? The ungodly. That, That at the right time he died for us. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Scripture shows over and over again, God has the power to save and it is not based on our worthiness. He doesn't save us because we are so lovely, we are lovely because we're loved by God. God has overflowed his love onto us, and you are of incredible worth and value, and God loves you, and he cherishes you as a son or a daughter. He desires to adopt you into his family and to forgive you of your sins. But it's not because you're so special in and of yourself. It's because God's love is so vast and so great. His, his mercy is, is, is unending. His grace is incredible. And we should be struck by that in this passage, that, that, that that's the God that we serve. Now, I want to encourage you that uh, we aren't told why Eutychus was so sleepy in this passage. We don't know. Scripture doesn't, doesn't go into the details, and we could, we could speculate, but we'll never know for sure what it was that caused him to be so sleepy that night. But, but I want to encourage you to think about if you're in a season where you're, you're tired, you're weary, feel like you're just kind of going through the motions— live with low expectation, that you don't really expect amazing things to happen, you don't expect to see God's hand move in your life or in our church, if, if that's where you're at, I would encourage you to ask this morning, why am I tired? <laughs> what is it that's causing me to be drowsy? What are the things in my life that are, that are stealing my joy and causing me to just kind of go through the motions? And there's a couple things that I would point to connected into the, the passage here this morning. The first was is, is situation and environment, right? We're told that it was midnight, so it's getting really late. Paul had been talking for a long time. The room was warm because it was filled with these lamps. And if, if you've ever been in a room that's filled with, like, lamps or, or, or different things, uh, not even, like, I mean, these aren't, like, lamps what we have, right? They're, they're, they're like, torches, right? And so they're putting all fumes. That There's probably carbon monoxide in the room. Like, let's, let's get real with this, right? Like, it was a tough environment, So there was a lot of environmental factors that, that, that could play in. Is, is that what's going on in your life? Honestly, like assess, like, hey, where, where am I at right now? Do you, Do you have a job that's just causing you to travel a lot and work really long hours, and that's just pulling a lot out of you? That that is absorbing the best of the energy uh, that you have. Are you a, a student? And you just have a crazy workload between school and and a part-time job and activities and things that you're committed to, and you want to serve in the church, but you're uh, you know you just feel pulled in a million directions. Is that the season that you're at in this life? Do you have a, a newborn child or a, a young a, a young toddler that is struggling to sleep, and so you never get more than about two or three hours of sleep strung together at a time? Do you have a teenage child who's finding their way into trouble, or even a full-grown child that's, that's struggling and you want to help them, but you feel powerless to do it, and so it's keeping you awake at night. Are you dealing with illness in yourself or in someone that you love? Are you struggling with grief or loss? All these things are environmental factors that can just make us tired. They can exhaust us. They can be just draining and exhausting. And, and so part of it is acknowledging the season that you're in, right? Right? if you just finished a marathon, you shouldn't expect to, to head to the, to the starting line and start another one, right? So sometimes the wisest thing you can do is just kind of take a look back. Like if you and your spouse are struggling, hey, why, why are we arguing so much? We're fighting all the time. Well, oh yeah, like neither of us have gotten more than about three hours of sleep in about three years, right? We're just tired. We don't hate each other. We're just exhausted, Right? Are there environmental factors that are causing you to be weary, particularly in your walk with Christ? And and if that's the case, here's what I would encourage you with this morning. You you might not be able to change your environmental factors. There might be things that are out of your control, but I want to encourage you that even though they tend to pull you away from Jesus, the best thing that you can do is draw near to him. He will be your greatest source of refreshment and encouragement and strength and refocus you and you might feel like waking up and hitting the snooze one more time but if you got up and you spent that 10 minutes just earnestly seeking him in prayer you might want to just fall asleep watching television but if you if you popped on a sermon instead if you if you took a few moments to to read your bible i know it seems hard i know it's it's hard to get the energy up to do it but if you did it you would be tapping into the greatest source of refreshment you may not be able to change your situation the reality of your situation may not there just might be no way to change what you're in, but you can go through it in a different way if you will draw near to the power that's available to you in Jesus Christ. He will strengthen you. He will fill you. He will lift you up. If you, if you get out of a habit of working out, one of the hardest things to do is that first day, <laughs> right? To gear up and go to the gym. And, and you'll probably, it won't feel good that day. And it might not feel good the next day. But after a while, it's going to start to energize you and get you back into it. So maybe it's your situation environment. The, the, the other thing that we notice here is that we're told that Eutychus is a young man. So perhaps he didn't fully understand who Paul was or, or what was going on or the value in what he said. He was there. He was in the room. He wanted to be there. But he, he just maybe, just because of his immaturity, maybe he just didn't get what was happening. And maybe that's the case for you. Maybe in, in, in your walk with Jesus, you're just really young in the faith. You're just, you just placed your faith in him, and maybe it came out of a, a season of trial or difficulty. Maybe you were going through some emergency in your life, and you called out to Jesus, and he answered, and it was this amazing thing, and, and, and you felt great about it, but, but now the emergency has passed, and now you feel your urgency sliding off, and you're not sure what the next step is, and you don't know where to go. Maybe you're excited about the, the promise of salvation of Jesus and you get excited coming to church on Sunday morning, but, but during the week you just, uh, you just can't seem to get the will to crack the Bible open or, or to pray or, or to go to a group or to meet with other people. And, and for some of us, we haven't opened this up since last week. <laughs> I'm not here to condemn you, right? Jesus didn't come to condemn, but he wants you to be awake. He's got so much better. You feel like you got the basic idea, you've got your ticket to heaven, but you're just not sure what to do in the meantime and and if that's the case, if it's just your you need to grow in maturity, I want to point you towards towards growth and maturity and and a great place that we find this in the Bible is in Ephesians chapter 2. If you guys grab your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. You should know the passage well. You know, at Riverside, we love the book of Ephesians. We love the whole Bible, but God has been doing a work in our hearts through the book of Ephesians over the past couple of years and especially chapter 2 is uh, we just love to drive there. You should, If you open it up, you should see underlines and highlights. There should be things going on in your Bible at that place, right? But if you're dealing with like struggle of uh, a struggle of immaturity in the faith, of just kind of being new in the faith, I want to point you to this, right? It says, just like Eutychus, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, In the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It's saying, every one of you fell asleep and fell out the window. (laughs) You're all laying dead on the ground. It's over. It's done. But God, verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. When I read through that this week, uh, I've read that passage probably a thousand times. That sentence jumped out to me, that in coming ages he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace. Whatever you know about the grace of Jesus Christ, however grateful when you sing amazing grace and the tears stream down your face, you're like, God's grace is amazing, you have only seen the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> and in the ages to come, we are going to find out that the grace of God through Jesus Christ is far greater than we could ever hope or imagine. That, that whatever you think of, you know about it, you've only scratched the surface of his grace. Isn't that incredible? For by grace you've been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Eutychus couldn't raise himself up after he fell, right? He's dead in the street. But the grace of God came and raised him up, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And that's what I want to point you to. We were created to do good works we weren't just created to punch our ticket to heaven and kind of hang around and wait until that happens. And we weren't created to just kind of achieve a status quo and find a good, comfortable church and go sit there on Sunday morning and just kind of take in whatever we can and just kind of wait for Jesus to call our number. We were called to do good works. But it has to flow out of the fact that we were dead and he brought us to life. It has to be the grace of God flowing through our hearts saying, you were dead and I made you alive because I have things I want to do in you. If you want purpose, if you want lasting purpose and hope and peace, that's where you dig. God, you made me to do good works. What are they? What are the good works? And, and it might be to start a ministry. It might be to start a small group. It might be to minister uh, to some specific person. He might have called you to a specific task and a purpose. And over time, he will reveal that in your life. But, but the thing that Scripture makes it clear is that we are all called for the good work of being a follower of Jesus Christ. We're called to know and obey His commands, and to show others how to do the same. And as you learn to walk with Jesus, as you go through troubles and trials and difficulties, and and you say, "Wow, the gospel made a difference in that." I got to share this with somebody, right? Well, Keith pointed this out. I'll, I'll hammer it home this morning, right? Like this is the easiest way to invite somebody to church. Easter, go to Target. There is a mom right there, right now, in Target with a cart with, like, three kids that are going crazy. And all you have to do is walk up to her and say, hey, you have the most beautiful children, and they are so well-behaved. I'm like, you're an amazing mom, right? And she's like, oh, thank you. Hey, my church is doing an Easter egg hunt. Would, would you like to come to that, right? Like, how, how easy is that, right? Do you want your kids to have a bunch of candy and, uh, <laughs> and toys? Now, of course, on this cart, it has information about our Good Friday service, which is amazing. If you want to enter into experiencing the the Easter weekend, you got to come on Good Friday, and it's got information about our, our Sunday services. But, but, but this is this is not shoving Jesus down somebody's throat. This is hey, do, you, do your kids like candy and toys? Right? We know the answer to that already. That's a, that's an easy one. Where do you live? Do you have a roommate? Do you have parents? Do you have kids? Do you have cousins? Do you have brothers? Do you have sisters? Just read God's word. Let the truth work into your life, and then share with them. Hey man, I was having a rough day, but you know, I read this part in Ephesians and it talked about how I was dead, and everything I went through today doesn't compare with being dead. <laughs> and I was dead and Jesus brought me to life. Man, so I got some encouragement out of that. I, I had a rough day, but I but I felt encouraged by the truth of that. What's going on in your life? Is there something I could pray for you? Right? It's not rocket science. You don't have to study charts and diagrams, and you don't have to know all 66 books of the Bible. It's nice if you want to learn them, and I got a little song that I can teach you that would teach them to you. But you just got to know Jesus. That's why I love the blind man. They, they, they interviewed the blind man that Jesus healed, and they said, how did he do this, and by what power? And what? He's like, hey, here's all I know. I was blind, and now I see. That's your testimony. I was dead, and I'm alive. I fell out of a three-story window. <laughs> I was laying on the street, and Jesus brought me to life, right? That's, that's an awesome testimony. That's as good as it gets. What about this? I don't know. Let's go, let's study the answer. I know there's an answer, and I know Jesus is the answer. Let's figure it out together, right? Situational. How are we doing? Is everybody awake out here? Do I need to do I need to do a check? Does anybody want to be a sermon illustration? <laughs> All right. Just checking. Just checking. Here's one that we don't we don't think about and we don't talk about much. I always love being that pastor. I will go where no one else will go as a pastor. Right? Maybe he was tired from doing ministry. Maybe Eutychus was, was Paul's personal servant when he got to town. Maybe Eutychus made him breakfast, and maybe Eutychus was running errands for him all day and making travel arrangements and, and discovering plots of people trying to kill him, so rerouting his place. Fl- hey, I found out somebody's going to try and kill me on this boat, so can you get me a different boat because I don't want to go where they're going to kill me. Right? Like, that's a tough job. Maybe he was running around all day just doing good work. And by the time he got there, he was exhausted. You know, we we experience this when we go on our our mission trips as a church. When when we go to Brazil, it's it's great, but it is so tiring. You get up early in the morning, and you're meeting and crying with your group and sharing encouragement and and. Um, uh, it sounds crazy until you do it, but it's like emotionally draining. Like at seven a.m., right? Because <laughs> like, you're you're just kind of pouring yourself out, and then you go and you do physical labor for a few hours, and then you grab lunch, and then you go door to door sharing your testimony, and then you uh, and then you grab some dinner, and then you go to like a two-hour-long church service. And there's been times by the time I get to that two-hour-long church service, I'm so excited to be there and so pumped up, but between the heat, there's no air conditioning in Brazil, right? <laughs> and so it's there's there's warm lights, and it's and it's uh, there's you know exotic animals in the background like making noises and it gets like very sleepy sometimes and so I found myself like drifting off even though I don't want to because I poured myself out in good works is that where you are you say, hey man, I've been serving Jesus. I've been going to Bible studies. I've been, I've been every day I get up at 5 a.m. so I can do my devotional and and I and I've been taking on this group and they asked me to help serve as a greeter, so now I'm doing that, and I'm gonna go get some Easter candy to give to the thing. And 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 maybe you're just pouring yourself out so much in doing that you've disconnected from being. You're so focused on doing, doing, doing that that you forgot that the whole point is that I'm supposed to be. Growing closer to Jesus in this. I'm not just checking things off a list. I'm actually supposed to be developing a relationship with my Savior. I'm supposed to be coming to know him. And I'm so busy doing stuff that, I, that I'm that i not doing that. Remember the story of Mary and Martha? Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus, just learning, absorbing everything he would pour out. And Martha's like cooking dinner and setting the table and be like, oh, my lazy sisters, you know what I mean? She's all angry and she goes and confronts Jesus. And Jesus is like, hey, listen, I appreciate everything you're doing, but she's chosen the better thing." God included Sabbath rest as part of his good, perfect creation. For six days he created, on the seventh day he rested. Before sin, before rebellion, uh, before uh, death entered in, that, that rest was a natural part of God's good order and creation. Do you take rest in your life? What, what would a good resting schedule look like for you in ministry? In life as a whole, but in ministry as a whole, what do you do to recharge yourself? You guys can tell I'm fired up this morning, right? Because last week, I was down in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, we went down to Church Elevation Church. Their worship team writes a lot of the songs that we play here. I got filled up. I went and, and I received and I got I got pumped so that I could come back and give you my all here today. Sometimes just serving, 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 uh, is. sometimes you need to pull back. I... Uh, I like working out. I hate doing cardio, right? <laughs> because here's what I do when I do cardio. I'll be going on the elliptical and I kind of just kind of get into a zone and I'm watching something or listen to a song and then all of a sudden I'll look down and I'll be like, oh, I've only gone half a mile. I got to go. So I'll like go really hard for like two minutes and then I'll be and I'll be like, all right, I got to slow down a little bit, right? And for some of us, that's what ministry ends up feeling like. It's like you feel guilty. You're, you're there, you're going, but you're like, oh, I could be doing more, but man, I, all right, I got to push a little bit harder, and you, but you can only do that for so long. That's why I like lifting weights, because in lifting weights, you go all out for about 30 seconds, and then you take a break. And you don't lift a weight. You put the weights down, and you walk away, right? And then you come back, and you do it some more. And then when you get done that workout, you take off like two days, because you've got to let your muscles rebuild before you can work them out again. Like, that's my kind of workout, right? And the crazy thing is it shows, at least for me, more results than when I'm just doing cardio all the time. And Christian ministry is a marathon. It is. But I just wonder if maybe we need to take more of a a, a different workout approach to our work in ministry. Maybe we need to be more intentional about taking seasons of rest so that when we come in, we're all in, right? I'd rather have the greeter that comes once every third week and is like crazy happy to see everyone, genuinely. Like, I can't believe you're here this morning. I love you. Thank you for coming, right? Rather than the one that comes 52 weeks and is like, Welcome, welcome to Walmart. Welcome to Walmart, right? (laughs) If we're in, I want us to be all in. And nobody can be all in all the time. So I want to relieve you of that pressure. You can't be all in all the time. Take rest. Take breaks. Find out what recharges you. Get pumped up and then get back in there and give it your all. And then take another break, right? And then jump back in. I don't want anybody serving seven days a week here in the church. I don't want anybody coming to every small group or everything that we— every time the church's door is open, I don't want you here all the time. I want you to choose what God is laying on your heart and called you to and give your all. But I also don't want you to be lazy. I don't want you to just kind of come in and half-hearted. If you're only coming to a few things, you better get all in, right? We want to give our best. We want to give our best. On the other end of the scale— right? Maybe Eutychus was just disinterested. Um, maybe, maybe he didn't really know who Paul was. Maybe his parents made him come. Maybe he just followed the crowd into the room and didn't even know what he was getting into. Maybe that's your situation this morning. Maybe you're here because your parents made you come, or your kids made you come, <laughs> or your spouse made you come, and said, rather than get in an argument with my spouse, I'm just going to go to church. That's easier, right? You don't realize yet the power that Jesus has to transform your life, but he does. And, and maybe this morning, this is your wake-up call, you could ask Eutychus, you know, Eutychus, he, he, he was overcome by sleep and he fell out the window. And so I, I researched it this morning, to fall three stories takes less than two seconds, right? So imagine he's in the middle of some really good dream. All of a sudden he wakes up to the sensation of falling and then he's dead. And then all of a sudden the next thing, he's, Paul's in his arm, he's holding him and he's, he's like he's alive, right? Like what an incredible thing to go through. But if you asked Eutychus, he'd probably say, man, I just kind of wish my buddy would have just shook my shoulder and said, dude, wake up, right? It's probably better than falling out the window. So I want to be your buddy this morning. I want to come and shake your shake your shoulder and say, "Dude, wake up! God has power, and and He has called you to great things, and and you can pour your life out searching for for pleasure and things of this earth, and and in your career and in relationships and in, and in accumulating stuff and the new apple." iPhone and the, and the, and the latest MacBook and the newest car and the newest newest thing and all, but those things are always going to pass. They're always going to fade, right? I've got the, what used to be the newest iPhone. Now I would give it, I'm going to give it to my kids when I'm done with it, right? <laughs> this thing that I couldn't wait to get, <laughs> Emma just said, yes, she's excited. See, I'm over it, but she can't wait for it, <laughs> But then after she has it for a little while and sees the new one that I get, then she's going to want that, right? It's, it's, it's never-ending. But, but Jesus satisfies in a way that does not leave us wanting more. He's a limitless well of purpose and hope and joy. I want to talk to you uh, just briefly about us as a church, right? So maybe you saw yourself as an individual in there somewhere. Because who's not tired, right? We're all tired. We all get tired. Nobody sprints all the time. So maybe you saw yourself in there, but as a church, I just want to talk to us that, uh, man, as a church, I'm so proud of you guys. And, and when I talk to other pastors in our, in our network and in our area here, you guys have a great reputation. Riverside Church is known as a church that, that loves church planting and discipleship and is generous in their investment. It calls us outside of ourselves and we love to serve the community, and people know that about this church. Um, and that's good. You guys should be praised for that. that that's an awesome thing. But my hope is that, that what we are today is just a shell of what God is ultimately going to grow us to be. My hope is that we've just just begun the tip of the iceberg, right? Because we're not comparing ourselves with the church we grew up in or the church down the street. We're comparing ourselves with the, the pure and spotless bride of Jesus Christ that we were called to be. And God wants to do so much through us. And, and you know, what is that going to look like, you know? more people, bigger programs, all that stuff. It, it might lead to those things, but ultimately my dream for our church is this, that when somebody new walks through the door, that our hope isn't like, oh wow, I really hope they get a chance to talk with that super spiritual person, because if they talk to, to them, they're going to help them see who Jesus is. No, my hope is that they could walk in and it's like, hey, take your pick. <laughs> you see a teenager who looks a lot like you, go talk to them. They know Jesus and they love Jesus and they can help you. Uh, you see a single mom, you're a single mom, go, go talk to her. She can tell you what it's like to to walk with Jesus through that. that You see somebody that looks like your grandpa? Go talk to him. He'll talk to you about what what years of faithfulness looks like or how he he spent 60 years separated from Jesus but then found him and now he's like a, a child that he has the energy of, right? Like that anywhere, it's like just take your pick. These people know and love Jesus and you can talk to any one of them and they will tell you what a difference he's made. Isn't that a vision for a church? Isn't that what we would want to be? And that that responsibility falls on every single shoulder in here, right? That every one of us is responsible to come to know and love Jesus as much as we can so that we can be that kind of church. Let me read uh, to you in in closing here the words of, of Paul in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 13, verse 11, he says this, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, the power, the resurrection power that is on display in this passage. The resurrection power that you have proclaimed to us, that, that you can bring us from death to life. And it's not based on our worthiness. It's not like when Eutychus fell out of the window that, that everybody. Paul said, hey, well, tell me about this guy. What was he like? Is, is he worth my salvation? No. That you come to us and you offer salvation to us. You you offer to bring us life and we, we simply need to receive the free gift that you are giving. I pray that every single person in this room would take hold of that That those that have never received your forgiveness and your salvation and the purpose and the hope that you bring, I pray that today would be the day that they take it up and it's done simply by placing their faith in you. They don't have to get better. They don't have to get cleaner. They don't have to pick themselves up off the street. They simply have to receive your free gift of salvation. I pray that they would do that today. And for those like Eutychus who have been raised to a new life, Lord, I believe that Eutychus changed from that day forward. He, he, he viewed his purpose differently. And I pray that we would do the same, that we would recognize that we have been raised to life for a purpose. I pray we would be intentional, we'd be strategic, and we would be thoughtful about how we spend our life. And we would look at the trials that we get into, but we would look for you as, uh, as our source of hope and energy in the midst of it, Lord. And I pray that we would establish a, a, a seasons of rest in our life so that we can go at it with all that we are when you call us forward. Just encourage us and drive us forward as your church today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.